film is a sort of dreamscape. You get this kind of groundless passion. That's an interesting phrase. Yeah. You want to maybe give us some context for kind of how you came to make the film? Um, people maybe don't know all the previous work you've done. Um, so maybe you could just talk about how you came to this. Yeah. I have a sort of sporadic career as a filmmaker. I'm, I made a film, my last film I made 10 years ago, and it was called Examine Life, and it was a series of walks with philosophers. Before that, I made a film, when I was 23, I made a film about Slavoj Žižek called Žižek with an exclamation mark. But I never, I never really wa wanted to be a filmmaker. I always actually wanted to be a writer and an activist. And my films were kind of a form of procrastination um, and waiting for the right political moment. So the, for the last 10 years, I have been um, involved in economic justice organizing, mostly working around indebtedness. So I, I helped launch the Rolling Jubilee. David was part of that in the US during Occupy Wall Street. And then it's turned into something called the Debt Collective, which is a union of debtors. And we launched the first ever debt strike student debt strike in 2015, which actually has won over $600 million for its members. And we've actually been having some successful legal cases against Betsy DeVos, who's Trump's education. Oh, I don't, I don't even know what word to use for her. She's just, she's just a horrible human being who really doesn't even need a job. Talk about it like a bullshit job. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I wrote a book called The People's Platform that came out in 2014 that was basically deconstructing Silicon Valley claims to democratize everything. They were going to democratize laundry and democracy and the media. And But that, that project got me thinking, well, okay, what would a more democratic internet look like? What's democratic culture? And the word democracy, I started to think about it more also at Occupy Wall Street. You know, in 2011, there were all these social movements around the world. They were all united by their call for real democracy. And, um, and yes, yeah, so that word was on my mind, and I thought it would be appropriate to a kind of Astro-style film that is theoretical. And I always knew if I wanted to make, if I was going to make another film, that I wanted it to sort of switch registers a bit more between the personal and the political, you know, the individual and the structural, and sort of the emotional and the intellectual, and be more wide-ranging. Um, so that's, that's sort of the genesis of this in the National Film Board of Canada signed on, even though I started working on this in 2014 with the proposal, so sort of before, I don't think anywhere else would have said, well, you're in documentaries, but I think very few institutions would have said, yeah, let's make a film about democracy at that moment. It was just, um, you know, I, and I think if this wasn't a state-supported film, I could not have gotten it off the ground. And the film, National Film Board of Canada is a really special and rare institution uh, that supports feature-length documentaries that really have no market potential. <laughs> and that is my movie. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, feel, it feels a cinema. Yeah. That's pretty good. It feels a cinema in London. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to be too nationalistic, but, you know, thank you, Canada. Yeah. Um. yeah. If you don't have some tie to Canada, you basically can't do documentaries in North America. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so David and I know each other from before. I can't remember. I, friends put us in touch before. But we definitely also, you know, we're both uh, at Occupy. David was trying to get me to go to the planning meetings, and I was like, planning meetings? I'm not going to that. <laughs> so, um, but cool. I should have. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, David, you, this was the you haven't oh, seen yeah. it before today. Oh, I hadn't, yeah. um, So, I mean, this is kind of an unfair question, but do you want to just give us a kind of immediate general reaction to, to the uh, film? Yeah, that's an unfair question, but I, I'll answer it. Um... <laughs> 
I actually was really happy to see this because there's a kind of an anti-democratic moment, not just in the obvious ways, but even on the left, there's a lot of people questioning, well, maybe democracy has always been a scam. It's just really another word for rule by, you know, sort of, essentially, I think what's happened is that that um, liberal centrists have redefined a democracy as a bunch of constitutional and procedural uh, mechanisms. Norms. Yeah, which were designed to suppress democracy. And rather than saying, no, democracy means self governance as uh, you know people have been saying well then let's get rid of it entirely and it's a you know it's a terrible trap so I think that it's really important to have things like this to break out of that I mean I think I began the film actually a bit more skeptical um, and I think at the beginning of the project I was open to the idea that maybe we need to throw out the word I mean when I'm having that conversation with Wendy Brown it's not fake <laughs> mm. um, you know because there were words that I liked a lot more than democracy like equality or justice or revolution or freedom or socialism or communism and democracy seemed like I mean also coming up age in the aughts it just seemed mm. like a pretty terrible word it was like a George W. Bush mm. impose it on Iraq kind of word mm. one thing this project has done is actually made me much more mm. enthusiastic about the term democracy and you were there before me um, so, yeah. Well, oh yeah on that yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the irony is what we've seen in the Middle East, I mean, it's a great example right now, is that, you know, they, sure, people like George Bush can use things, ideas like democracy and women's rights even, you know, as an excuse to, like, bomb people in the Middle East, but then, you know, by saying, that, well, they don't have enough democracy, they don't have enough women's rights, but then when groups like, you know, what we're seeing in, uh, in Rojava come about who, like, believe in democracy a little too much, you bomb them too, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Or, <laughs> Yeah, so it's either way. You got to hit it in the middle for those guys. <laughs> What's funny? I also I knew David. You know, David was at Zuccotti Park during the first days of Occupy, and that's actually where I met Sylvia Federici before I knew that she oh, wrote Caliban. And the, yeah, I just thought she was this cool old lady hanging out at the park, and then someone sort of clued me in that she had written these amazing books. Yeah, yeah, she is cool. Um, okay, we want to come out to you. Um, does anyone have any reactions, questions, thoughts? Things I, I can learn about the anyone UK. Anyone here into democracy? Hi, thanks. Film fantastic. I didn't think you had an answer in the film, but I wondered if you could talk a bit more about one of the ideas that came up, which is that um, people shouldn't be elected; they should be chosen uh. at random. Yeah, I, I'm kind of, especially coming out of the midterms right now. It, it just <laughs> happened in the US. I started having real, like, get rid of elections, let's just have random selection feelings. Because, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, a dead Republican pimp was elected to state <laughs> assembly in Nevada no. over a woman. Like, they'd rather elect this dead. <laughs> and he wasn't, you know, um, this sort of pimp that's, like, for, you know, sex workers' rights. I mean, this is, like, this Republican, you know, claiming to represent the sort of party of Christian morality. I mean, it's just one of those things where, like... Yeah, maybe the random guy on the subway should be given a chance. Uh, Even but, William F. Buckley once <laughs> said that I'd rather be governed by the, the first 200 names of the New York phone book than the current uh, Congress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we have a common ground with William Buckley. Yeah. It's amazing. That's the only thing I agree with him on. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. I think in a, in a more democratic society, mm -hmm. sortition randomness would be used a lot more. And I think mm -hmm. it's, you know, especially because of the pressure of social media on election cycles. I mean, just I think the the time people spend actually, you know, governing and doing their job is just diminishing, and it's like constant campaigning. So mm. that's why I wanted to put that in there. I mean, I think there's something. It's also just like why why do we equate democracy with elections? 
first yeah, and I mean, foremost. Why is that our minimal definition? Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing when you're here. You know, in England, they had elections back, uh, what was 13th century, I think, they started doing them. It never occurred to anybody it had anything to do with democracy. Everybody was totally against democracy, but democracy meant ordinary people making decisions for themselves, whereas elections meant, you know, people just, you know, if aristocracy is rule of the best, it's like a bunch of guys who claim to be the best and you decide which one is best of all. It's like yeah. the most aristocratic system you could possibly have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just think, I mean, this idea this that this is the thing we equate with democracy and that... Uh -huh. People thought that it was actually an aristocratic system is something I mm. really wanted to get in there. But. And I guess the counter argument is, is that, you know, Athens was a small place and the U.S. is big. But actually, if you look at something like selection for jewelry service in the U.K., that, yeah. you know, then you're just picked randomly and lots yeah. of other countries do that. So, you know, it's, it's, in a way, it's not as big a stretch. Although when you first hear when you hear it in the film, you're like, oh, my God, that's yeah. that's radical. Um, OK, more thoughts, reactions. Uh, yes, thank you for your film, um, which I enjoyed very much. Um, it ended with the idea that people should vote and that pe workers' rights, people's rights, but also you brought out the fact that people are very right-wing as well and that there was a, a big contradiction. People voted for Hitler. That, that, was, democrat, that was a democratic election. Uh, people voted for Brexit. That's a democratic election, a referendum. Um, so what you did was obviously raise the problems and the contradictions and the paradoxes, but we haven't really, we still haven't got an answer. <laughs> so, what are you, what are you going to, what are you going to propose instead of democracy, given that it does elect Trump and Hitler and and so on, as well as democracy. It's funny how people do this all the time. They say, well, you know, democracies occasionally produce very bad results. Therefore, you know, how can you defend it? No one ever said, you know, like, it's when they say, well, you can't, like, let juries make decisions. It'll be like a lynch mob. You know, there's been terrible things. You know, so they leave it to judges. But, you know, judges have done a lot more injustices than juries ever has. And nobody ever says, let's get rid of judges. So there's a certain authoritarian instinct, I think, which lies behind this. Well, you know, every now and then democracy produces terrible results. Um, you know, authoritarian systems, which are the alternative, are much more regularly producing terrible results. I mean, so so I think that it's all. I think the basic question is one of procedure. Democracy simply means that people are particip participating in decisions. You know, it doesn't say how. So if you take something like Brexit, I mean, so, as someone who's done a lot of direct democracy organizing, you know, if you do a direct democracy process and it ends up with a fifty-two forty-eight conclusion, you do it again. I mean, that's not actually a democratic decision. Demo any sort of real directly democratic procedure knows that, you know, you can't, you did something wrong. You asked the question wrong if you get that result. So there's, you know, the process uh, is everything. And there are processes which bring out the worst in people. If you have a competitive 5149 system, it will encourage people to maximize and, you know, introduce wedge issues. If you have other procedures which proceed in other ways, it brings out other types of behavior. So... Um I tried in the film to acknowledge the sort of downsides of democracy, right? So that's what Cornel West says. You know, there are moments, there are democratic leaps forward that probably wouldn't have won if they had been put to a popular vote. So I didn't want to idealize democracy. But I'm not proposing, I'm not proposing an alternative to democracy. It's more the question of like, what would make the democracy more substantial? Um, because I think there's a case to be made that Brexit was actually, you know, you can say, okay, well, this is the way the vote went. It's a failure of democracy. But it was also an elite failure because who called the referendum under what circumstances? I mean, it's sort of a lot of these 
referenda have been sort of elite miscalculations, mm-hmm. right? But that's not typically how it's framed um, in yeah. the media. But I think that that's an important component. And I think that there are... So I have. I was actually just out there finishing some edits on the companion book, which will be out in March, um, which has sort of all of my more explicit thoughts that I wanted to leave implicit because the film had its own logic and is not full of you know voiceover or big red arrows saying what I think or mean by something. But I think... What happens is that people introduce solutions, trying to sort of fix democracy, but then because of the structural inequalities, those systems produce their own pathologies, and referenda is one of them. I mean, the capital P progressives were like, okay, this is something the people will be able to vote directly, this will you know, make our system more responsive, and what we see is that money and spending distorts the vote mm. and determines like who can even get on the ballot because you usually have to have 500,000 signatures to get on a ballot. So, I mean, the problems of, I really think, you know, so many of the pathologies of what we call democracy are rooted in extreme economic inequality, which is why there's a whole thread in the film that's about mm. that, about the struggle between the rich and poor and the role of finance. So, you know, I'm for democracy. I just think we should make it more substantive, more robust, and that economics is the main the main issue, which is why that's the focus of my organizing. And a film is not organizing; mm-hmm. <laughs> a film is just fun. Mm-hmm. One of one of the questions that you didn't really touch on was the role of media and the control of media, because that is hugely influential in shaping opinion. Um, and if you have media controlled by corporations who have vested interests in everything else, which is what we have at the moment, of course, you know, whatever you do can be undermined by that, that economic power that's more than just power in the economy, it's power in the minds of the people. Um, and that, that really wasn't touched on, really, I felt. It wasn't touched on because I had just written this book. The peop- so I wrote this book, The People's Platform, that's all about how... We say that there's been a media revolution, but that, that we are we emphasize change when we should be emphasizing continuity. So part of the problems with our media landscape is that this sort of traditional business models carried over and then metastasized. So you know, social media is more dependent on advertising revenue than you know, cable networks and television broadcasters or newspapers of yore. So the truth is I was just so mediated out. Like I'd just done my media critique. It's still out there. It's pretty up to date. I call Google, Google instead of Alphabet. But other than that, the book is still good. And it's like, and so I kind of, just like in the book, I wanted to emphasize continuity. How is actually the media system we're trapped in what we had before? This hasn't been really a revolution. It's been an evolution. And um, I wanted to focus on getting us out of sort of the current moment and having a longer time horizon. So, you know, part of it was there's something about the way we talk about media that emphasizes the novelty of it. And when I think it's been an intensification of a situation we've been in for a while. But, you know, it's also, I was just, I wanted to make this film partly and and work on democracy because, like, I'm so tired of, like, being subjected, subjecting myself to the fire hose of tech news, which is honestly the most unbearable (laughs) scene. But I, so I totally agree. But I was just, I feel like that's something that we think about a lot, and especially now, right? Because we're all watching the way. So we all, we're all feeling it as we are tugged by our devices and overwhelmed by the horrors, not just in our own countries, but everywhere, that, everywhere that gets to us. What do you think is a representative of the media? It's representative of the MSM. Um, yeah, I, um, 
I mean, I was quite struck by this is going to, I don't know if this is answering the question, but I was quite struck by the story this morning in The Observer, which was reporting that the, the Taxpayers Alliance had basically admitted that they spread lies against Shamir Sami, who was one of the um, whistleblowers about Cambridge Analytica in The Observer. Um, and the Taxpayers, for people who don't know, um, he used to work for the Taxpayers Alliance, and then basically they sent a whole load of people out on the BBC and on other platforms to basically say that he was, you know, this crazy whistleblower with with um you know with a vendetta um and that he was trying to bring in a second brexit referendum uh and you know and it was awful and he lost his job and he was outed uh and then you know a few months later uh to avoid a massive court case the taxpayers alliance have said oh yeah we did do that and we coordinated all these people and we fooled the bbc and that that sort of struck me yeah i thought i thought that was a really genuinely terrible thing because effectively you know the BBC were duped by these anti-democratic forces I mean you know I'm um I work for The Guardian and I'm quite suspicious of a lot of media organisations, including The Guardian. But that particularly was like, oh my God, here's this public broadcaster who, you know, is kind of in in an alliance with these terrible forces. So um, I do, yeah, I do really worry about it, you know, and I worry about it, even though I think The Guardian is better than a lot of other places. um, You know, I worry about it within The Guardian as well. You know, we're not a totally kind of perfectly democratic organisation. I don't agree with everything that we ever put out there. Um, and, and I'm not sure in a big organisation like ours. I'm not sure how you do make it a kind of yeah, democratic, democratic. Well, I think I mean. I also I work as a journalist and do a lot of more traditional journalism. And so to me, I thought about media also in terms of just well, what is a film in a world where there is so much media, right? Mm-hmm. When if anything, there's too much. Um, and even organisations that should be public and driven by different mandates are like still in this economy of clickbait. So I also. You know, in a in a mediascape that is so abundant, then why why add more content to the world? <laughs> well, I think at least existential question yeah. with no answer. <laughs> I think at least with some with somewhere like the Guardian, if you disagree with what we've said and how we've said it, you kind of know who you can go to. There's actual people you can go to and complain. Whereas with the sort of more amorphous world of social media, you're not actually sure who is like who's responsible for well, this. Well, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg told Congress that AI is going to fix this, so it's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a young engineer told me AI would fix democracy too because they would be reasonable. They being our AI overlords who are coming. <laughs> and this 22-year-old was just eagerly awaiting the end of all problems. <laughs> mm. The algorithms Wendy mentioned. Yeah. It reminds me of a. I was a, saw a very telling poll the other day. Someone referred me to uh, about centrism. They were, uh, were talking about ideas of democracy, civil liberty, and support for it. Uh, on and, and they discovered that people on the left and right of the political spectrum almost invariably were. were greater believers in democracy, civil rights, freedom of speech than people in the center. So people in the center are really authoritarian. Um, and, and it makes sense because they're the guys who think the algorithms are going to fix everything. Yeah, they, they think they're beyond that nonsense. <laughs> who needs politics? When we have these discussions around democracy, a lot of them end up centering back on elections or... Mm-hmm who's going to rule, talking about like a lot lottery system, things like this. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the kind of material manifestations of the repressions that kind of democracy is meant to be opposing 
manifest through the state. It's through the police, through the judiciary, through the military, through things like this. So I was wondering if you could just talk for a minute about that kind of like relationship between the state as an entity and the idea of democracy on the other end. Yeah, well, <laughs> in two seconds. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's one of the paradoxes, right? It's sort of the state is, is this entity that on the one hand um, can provide the sort of, or help play a role in providing the sort of foundation of a, of a decent life so people can participate, but it's also, you know, has a sort of monopoly on violence. And so that's, you know, it's something that I tried to address implicitly in the film. So with the shots of police and with the discussion of the prison system, right? So the U.S. famously has 4% of the world's population and almost 25% of the world's prison population. So, I mean, that right there is like, how can this be a country that claims to be free? <gasps> Yeah, I mean, I just basically, do I have any, you you as the anarchist must have much oh, thoughts yeah. on this. Well, I'm sort of soft on the state, I have to say. Yeah, Maybe you David are, and I can sure. get into it, actually. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I no. want the state to provide, you know. I want the state to be, um, to do more than its play its, you know, violent role, mm. which is basically it's the only role that it has in the U.S., right, in a society controlled by libertarians. They want the police to protect property and to, you know, the army keep, to defend the and the army to, like, keep the it. poor people yeah. away, <laughs> and, you know, you can fucking go bankrupt if you happen to, like, need an x-ray, you know, and, and like, basically fuck off and die. I mean, my, my own, I have a libertarian grandmother who told my disabled sister she had no rights, <laughs> and that um, she was just lucky that her family gave her charity and didn't let her, you know, <laughs> die in the woods. Like, that, those are, those, that's... That's an attitude. And so to me, I also want to frustrate those people and know the state can do more than just, you know, provide police. But yeah, maybe we... Yeah. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah. I, I actually kind of like... I think there's a famous anarchist, um, Dodge, uh, which covers this relationship where they said, you know, everybody loves democracy, everybody hates the government. So, you know, anarchism is just democracy without the government. Um, yeah, it's... Myself... You have to look at what aspect of the state that you object to and whether you think it's intrinsic to what the state does and all to all aspects of what the state does, right? So that what you're objecting to is the fact that in certain situations somebody will, can show up with a big stick or a gun or some weapon and say, shut up, I don't care what you think, you know, um, you're going to do what you're told now. And the question is like, can you run a health system without that? I think you can. But but would it be a state? No, it would be a universal health care. It wasn't a state. I think we mistake states and the principle of universality. You know, anything that would be open to anyone, we can't imagine how that would happen without a state. And and we call anything like that a state. But you know, for me, a state is, is, is any relationship backed by that principle of a monopoly of violence, and which is only made possible by that monopoly of violence. It happens that states insist that they maintain control over everything that's universal. Um, but that's because states are obnoxious. And, you know, <laughs> uh, that doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that we'll lose those things if we get rid of the obnoxious guy who says, I have to run it. I mean, if you look at the welfare state, I remember I went to Sweden 
Um, and I met a bunch of Swedish anarchists, and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting, right? Well, what, are, what are Swedish anarchists going to say? They seem to have the most benevolent state you can possibly imagine. And you know, the first thing they said was, it was really interesting. They said, um, you know, none of this stuff was actually created by the state. Almost all of it was created by labor unions, by workers' movements, by, by social movements of one kind or another, the social welfare stuff, uh, even public libraries, everything. You know, basically the state offered a deal. And said, okay, okay, you can have that stuff. We'll even make it in even the neighborhoods that don't already have it. We'll universalize it. But only on condition you can't run it. You have to give up ultimate control to bureaucrats. And, and, and they called this the social peace. And that, they're constantly accusing anarchists and people who challenge that deal of violating the social peace. So that ultimately, even the most benevolent state in the world sees itself as at war with its own people. You know, there is a truce. The welfare state is a truce of the class war. And, um, you know, either side violates it. It's, it's really an act of violence. Yeah. But, of course, they are violating it. Because once you give over that control, they can take it away. And, in fact, pretty much everywhere in the world they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, so social democracy isn't democratic. You're sort of a recipient of benefits. Yeah, yeah. I think I, you know, I, but I, I want a state that has coercive power. So, for example, I believe the state should be able to coerce businesses into having ramps and being accessible. So I like the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is the last civil rights legislation of, it was, you know, the last little moment of bipartisanship in the early 90s. And it's one of one area of law that the U.S. is actually really head on. So, you know, I want to coerce the world into having ramps. I'm for that. And I think you need a state. Anyway. I'd rather just not have the, I just rather <laughs> not have the corporations at all. But. I have a question for you, actually. I, see, people often say I left out the media, but I also think there's a whole world of um, work, right, and time. And so I was thinking about Bullshit Jobs, your book, oh, yeah. right, and how... So, you know, again, the sort of going back to the ancient Greeks, they had this, you know, enslaved people doing a lot of the labor so that that yeah. would free up... People to be political, men right. to be political animals, and yeah, the, and, and the so I think you know, in, you know, and this is the thing. So in you know, it, I was I voted for the first time the other day because I am Canadian and I grew up in the U.S. So I was depri I was de deprived of my Canadian voting rights, and then I couldn't vote in the U.S. So I went for the first time. And it's like on a weekday during work hours. Yeah. Right? I they mean, try it's to like, make so it as has, hard as it's possible. It's like as hard as possible. Yeah. Even I was confused by all of the meaningless ballot initiatives on the back. Um, mm. But uh, so, yeah, who has time for democracy? And and whereas in Greece, they actually paid they people, people to go to, to vote. Yeah. Yeah, they had giant Not vote jury. buying, but time compensation. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, you were paid to go to deliberate in, in the uh, in the agora. Yeah, they also paid like juries of three hundred people on them, so they could pay everybody a wage. So mm -hmm. It was basically unemployment. Mm -hmm. You sit around and be political all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about how bullshit jobs also, you know, they they make us less free, but also less democratically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was my original idea: just keep them off the streets. And there is a, there is a deep fear of, of freedom in, in again in those centrists you know the, the, that sort of middle class centrism is based on, on an instinctual fear of human freedom which is dressed up as proceduralism and technocracy um, but but I, I have friends who are people I really respect you know, when I talk about well you know we could go to a 15 hour week we could easily get rid of half the jobs that are being done and nobody would miss them you'll say well you know 
but yeah, like if people are working less, it's going to have pernicious social effects. I mean, studies have shown that when people work less, you know, crime goes up and and drug addiction goes up, and there's all these social problems. And I really feel like saying, like, okay, why don't we just lock people up for eight hours a day? It'll be the same <laughs> thing, right? Crime will go down. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and I agree on this front. <laughs> but I was raised by crazy anarchists and didn't go to school because my parents said that. School was jail for kids. So, uh, so you're just in rebellion. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm <laughs> oh, like, yeah. you know, yeah, that's right. all any, right. any inching I've done towards liberalism <laughs> is, is rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, got a question at the back there. That was really well timed that you were speaking about um, schooling because I was, wanted to ask a question around the role of education. I was really pleased to see the discussion with the children, uh, the, the school, the pupils at the school. Um, as a teacher and a union representative in, in the in educational institution I work in, I'm constantly being reminded of the kind of undemocratic nature of educational institutions on, on a daily basis, you know, from reminding people who run the institution that we're not a shop floor um, and the students aren't customers and that kind of thing. But I wonder, you know, I was kind of dispirited by the res responses of the students and felt like, oh, that's not what I tell my students to, to think or that's not how I engage in the classroom. But I do wonder constantly what's the role in, in education of um of making more substantial the democracy or how do we how do we use education as a as a tool for kind of showing that to students or showing that to young people and engaging them i wondered what your thoughts were on that yeah i mean so those those students attend one of the poorest public schools in one of the poorest neighborhoods in florida right and in the u.s the funding a specific public school receives is based on the property taxes. So it's this incredibly decentralized, strange system. Which you know, it's designed to screw the poor. It's like, okay, your parent, you know, this 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 community has no tax revenue. Your students literally don't have the school doesn't have any money. The teacher is, you know, the teachers in the states are constantly doing these GoFundMe's to buy pencils, to buy books. I mean, this is routine. So, you know, they don't represent everybody, but they represent something really sort of fundamental about it, the education system which is that it sort of it sorts people you know and it it is a ladder to the top for some or an escalator and you know and then it it there's a whole other class of people who are the the lessons they're getting from school as those kids show are really basically like this is your destiny don't mm -hmm. ask for more mm -hmm. the curriculum so i just i didn't want the the film to give a sort of pat answer like we need education because it's like what education? Mm -hmm. The curriculum these children are receiving is one that's very anti-democratic. So, my personal educational background is just so extreme, though. I mean, it, my mom literally was is the most outspoken uh, proponent of child liberation I've ever met. I mean, she makes me look totally moderate. She's a complete radical, and I uh, just thought children are people too. And you should have a say over your education from the earliest days. I totally trust that you're going to be curious. And so I guess, you know, to me, I'd say there's so much more trusting we could do. It's sort of like the, the friends you've mentioned, you know, idle hands, <laughs> no idle hands. It's like, let there, let there be some idle hands. You know, what are you so afraid of? Let people make decisions for themselves. And uh, in writing this book, one thing I... Actually, you know, children have been kind of amazing democratic actors, not just the Parkland students of the, you know, doing their movement against gun control, but look at the kids in the civil rights movement who's, who desegregated schools. I mean, why do we 
treat children with such condescension and contempt. So that I think there are things that can be done on a sort of interpersonal curriculum level, but then I think in the U.S., just equalizing federal funding. Is you, know, like, you know what they should do? They should take lottery money and give that out by district. Because that's the only the problem thing is poor a, people yeah. buy lottery tickets. Yeah, but only poor people work. buy lottery tickets. But that's done on the state level, <laughs> yeah. even though it's supposedly for education. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to college for free with lottery <laughs> lottery funds, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So I think there's sort of material changes, but you know, just as as David's for reducing the work week, I'd be for reducing the yeah. school week. You know, I'd rather like oh, why yeah. not have some intense rigor and then let kids fucking play. Mm. You know. Yeah, well, they're just terrified of letting kids go. I mean, the American educational system is especially weird because, and by the way, I, I thought that was an amazing, that was a really important section. I, I, I was most moving, perhaps, in, in a way, in, in the movie. Um, I thought, but I've always thought the American educational system is weird because they have that, like, Dewey element where they're supposed to be preparing people for democracy. So they're constantly like, asking you to formulate your opinion, which they don't really do uh, in, in a lot of countries. You know, a lot of countries is like, oh, write a paper on the abortion issue, take it as a A or B. You know, here it's like, what do you think? Uh, so they're constantly asking people what they think, but also they're making sure that what they think makes no difference. So there's no st structure of participation. You never actually ask something where it will actually have an effect on your life in any way, Every, as, as this brought out so clearly. Um, so, so as a result, I mean, I always thought that you know, opinions. It suddenly occurred to me that our opinions are things that you have about things that you would... Well, you know, politicians don't have opinions. They have policies, or people who run things don't have opinions. Opinions are what you have when you have no, no power. power. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what I would okay. do if I took... Board. That so, would be a great <laughs> op-ed, Yeah. speaking of. Yeah, maybe I should write an opinion piece, an yes, opinion piece. <laughs> about why opinions yeah. are stupid. And, and they take on this extreme quality as a result, and it's a self-reproducing system, right? Because I people say, I just say kill them all, you know? Because what difference does it make? Nobody cares. It's not going to make any difference. So people say, well, you can't let ordinary people have power, because look, they'll just kill them all. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the other thing with education is there's a reason my organizing work has mainly focused on, on student debt and trying to push for free higher education. Because I do think the other thing is just the fact that education as a commodity has such a pernicious effect. And, and, um, and I mean, we, are, we work with people who, I mean, their lives have just been utterly ruined by going back and doing what they're told to get a degree, right. to have a chance at a better life, and their life is over. Yeah. <laughs> because they'll never be able to pay. Um, and there are all sorts of extreme punishments, speaking of the state, um, you know, if you default on your loans, not only do they increase your principal, but in this, in 20 states will take your driver's license away so you can't get to your job that you were supposed <laughs> to pay back your loan with. They'll take mm. back the license, whether it's, you know, haircutting or, you know, whatever thing you manage to get from your degree. Um, so, right, and they introduce yeah. these these like requirements to have a degree to be a pharmacist, right? Yeah. And and you know, so you have to go back to school, you have to borrow the money, and it's the people who lend you the money who like lobby the government to introduce these requirements, and then you know they take away your pharmacy license if you can't pay it back. Yeah. So I mean, I'm totally critical of school. I don't have any student debt anymore, but that's my fight because I just think the effects on the broader society are so Pernicious, awful. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think we're out of time because the next film has to go in. Um, Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming along, everyone. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks, Astro. Thanks, David. Thanks for coming.